Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following is a message from our guest speaker. The last year and a half I've really been intrigued, that's a good word, intrigued by this passage. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. As amazing as that sounds, that is awesome. It's the next verse. What's that first word? Immediately. Immediately. Parents, we love that word, don't we? When we speak to our children, immediately. They left their nets and they followed him. My question to you this morning is, what was it about that voice that when he spoke, they came? Jose, Ricardo, it's that same voice today that was calling you. The voice is exactly the same calling to us, calling us to him. I don't know. I've been to a lot of churches. I grew up in church. I woke up on a pew. I've done my homework in a church, wore my pajamas to church. I've been in church a lot. And I've heard a lot of presentations about what it means to follow him and the opportunity, and our, even in our culture today, I think that we're not exactly completely clear with that presentation. I want to make it really clear to you this morning that following Jesus is going to cost you. It's going to cost you something, guys. I don't know what that is. I can't decide exactly and say, okay, this is what's going to cost you, and here's what's going to cost you. It's not my call. I don't know. I know that when he calls to you, there is going to be some form of abandonment on your part. You're going to be abandoning something. You're going to be walking away from something. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to be willing to give that up. I don't know if it's going to cost you a lunch. I don't know how new you are to the faith, but the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. Remember that? They follow Jesus. They're listening to this powerful, life-transformational messages. They're hearing the words, and they follow him. And they have listened, and he just keeps speaking. And the words are so powerful that they can't leave. And it gets late, and it's time to eat. And Jesus said, when the disciples told him, Jesus, we need to send these people away so they can eat. Jesus said, no, 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 sit them down. We're going to feed them. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Okay, great. What did they say? Oh, it's time to pass the offering plate. That's what they were saying. Remember that? When you get some money, it would take how much wages to pay for a meal for all these people? A month's wages. And what did Jesus say? No, no, no. Let's see what we have. Let's see what we have. I'm absolutely amazed that only one mother had the foresight to pack a lunch. <laughs> and can you imagine if that guy, that boy was your grandfather. 
Hey, did I ever tell you about the time that Jesus used my lunch? Yes, Grandpa. Can you imagine that? A few loaves, a few fish. I don't know about you, but I might have been willing to say, I'll give you half. I'll share it. I'll give you a part of it. You know, I don't know. I mean, I like Mexican food. I don't know why God didn't send me to Mexico, but I love Mexican food. This is one big enchilada right here. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know where we're going to eat afterwards, but Mexican food's not a bad call. That's right. But if it was me that day, I might have said, you can have two of my three enchiladas. Not necessarily given at all, you know what I mean? I'm not sure what it's going to cost you. But I'm sure that he's asking for it. And I'm sure that it will absolutely amaze you if you'll give it. That boy had no idea what he had until he gave it. And God will do with your life the same thing he did with that boy. That when you give your life, when you give it to him, he will take it. He'll bless it. Oh, we're getting ready for this next part. He'll break it. Are you ready? It's going to cost you. There are many people that when it comes to the breaking part, they take it back. No, 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 no. I gave it to you as is. That means I want it back as is. Just, God, I've done wonderful things with my life. I've built this. I've got this. I've got, oh, all the, look at my house, God. And he comes in and he starts expanding, tearing down walls, changing. And you say, no, 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 no. He's going to break your life. And then when he gives it out, it will be, it will be 12 basketfuls more than enough. I don't know what it's going to cost you. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached. Those who heard that message, do you know they had to climb the hill? They had to climb the mountain to hear it? Because he used the amplification and the acoustics of the mountain to project And if you wanted to hear that message, you actually had to climb the mountain to hear the best, greatest sermon ever preached. Today you had to walk from the to the glass. It's pretty level ground here. Clear it all out, make it safe. I don't know what's gonna cost you. It may be just like it was that day. When he says come. You abandon everything. They left their nets. They left their career. They left their future. They left everything. They didn't say, well, Jesus, can you give me your five-year strategic plan? And what about 401K? Was that anywhere in the mix? If you go farther in the scripture, you'll see where James and John were next, and their father was in the boat with them. There will be times that even your family is standing there saying, where are you going? What are you doing? Where, do you, where are you going? Even your family may not understand the decision that you've made. 
I can see James and John's father going, boys, if you leave me, these, mets aren't gonna, these nets aren't going to mend themselves. When you leave, I have to hire someone to do what you do. This is a family business, boys. Where are you going? You're going to leave me for someone who's not even family? It's going to cost you to follow him, friends. Are you getting the picture here? Because that's not always the message that's being preached. Sometimes the message is being preached that it'll be easy. It's wonderful roses. Everything's great. You'll not have any struggles. I've got friends who were fellow workers like I am. Did you get that? Who got cancer and died. Wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. If you make all the right decisions and you do all of these things, then surely God should look down and smile on that and say, I'm granting you favor. I mean, isn't that right? You see, our hope is not in what happens here. Our hope, this, what you've been promised, what you've been given, is the opportunity to spend eternity with him. Because regardless of what anybody tells you, hell is not about hot. Hell is about eternal separation from Almighty God. Now, if I get distracted here and get lost because I'm not as polished as Pastor Jared... And public speaking is a perishable skill. I don't do this. I live in a different context. And so I don't do it like this very often. So just, I'm going to kind of give you a heads up of where I'm going. Okay? And if I get lost and get somewhere wandering somewhere out there, you'll know and I'll come back. You'll say, okay, he's back. <laughs> that happens too, doesn't it? I want to begin with an apology. Then I want to tell you a story. Inside of a story, inside of a story, inside of a story. Yeah. And then I want to bring a challenge. Okay? Is that good? I've worked with youth ministry for too many years. <laughs> too many years. Still doing it. We have lots of young people that come and work on our teams. And please pray with us. We are, we are wanting between 40 and 50 to come join us in our work. As we are using creative access to gain entry to where we're living. We need people to come work with us. And as I've worked with uh, young people for many years, I have preached a lot of messages. And if there was one overarching principle of the message that I was speaking, it would be this. All right? I'm going back and I'm, I'm going to share with you. God has a plan for your life. He has a very special plan for you. He wants you to accomplish. He says, you are valuable to him. You can do great things for kingdom. God can use you to do something. I mean, you are amazing. God's going to use you. Are you getting the theme here? Sometimes in the effort to speak the message about what God wants to do, the emphasis became us. Just a simple nuance change. If I had it to do over again, this is, this is how I would lead off. There is this amazing, unbelievable, inconceivable God. Indescribable. Words are not enough to express all of who he is. The immensity, how large, infinite. In your mind, you can only conceive what has 
beginning and an end. Everything you know of is beginning and end. And to conceive of a God who does not know that concept is greater than that. Created time for us was before time began. He was there. This amazing, awesome God has intervened on our behalf. He's come, and he has a plan to restore and to bring us into right relationship yeah. with him. He has a plan, yeah. massive plan, and you get to be a part of it. Do you see the difference? You see, there's just one God and just one plan. Just one God and just one plan. As you read the word, I hope that you're reading it as a meta-narrative, as a one giant story, because that's what it is. And you are included in that giant story of what God is doing across the world. The one God, one plan. You ready for this? This gets crazy. Contrary to uh, all that you see, there's just one church. It's just one church. It is global. It's bigger than this building. You got that? It's bigger than this building. It's bigger than you. And his plan to include you right where you are, in the frailty of who you are, in the brokenness of who you are, his plan was to include you at that point, not when you were perfect. Not after you were restored. His plan was before then. This call, I'm telling you, listening to the voice. If we're not careful, we become very deceived. I'm 49. Whew, that's old, buddy. Knocking on the door. I know some of you that are young go, wow, ooh, really old. <laughs> if we're not careful, we believe the fullness of our life exists in the span that we breathe. In an effort to make a difference with our life, and we want to, make, we, we want to be significant, right? Why waste it? You just get one life. You just get one in an effort to, to make an impact with our life we put all the emphasis on the time that we're breathing. If we're not careful, we step into moments of time that God has orchestrated so long before that we ever started breathing that we have no clue. You see, this plan has been in existence long before you. And the impact of your life on this world should be longer than the breath that you breathe. But if you're not careful, we lose focus and we think it's only about the time that I'm breathing. The islands that we live, this is Dr. David Livingstone. Familiar with him? There was a famous quote. As he was gone, 1850s, he went to Africa and he's a great explorer, but he's, he was sent as a missionary from the Church of England, Anglican Church. They sent him out, 
And as he went out, he was sent out to plant the church. It's a great idea. Great. We think this is a great thing, right? There was a problem. He was a horrible church planner. By their standards that day and by our standards today, he, they put him in a village, and he's, he, was so, he was so hard to get along with that everybody that worked with him just left. He was hard to get along with because he knew what he wanted, and he was very diligent about it, and he was pursuing that, but he loved Africans, and he loved God, and he wanted to proclaim the truth of who God was all across Africa. So he went into the village, and he's launching. People didn't want to work with him. He goes back. As he goes back to the Church of England, and uh, they said, you know what? We don't think we can send you back. We can't endorse you to go back and be a missionary again. We're going to rescind our, our missionary commission, and we're not going to send you back. Well, the Queen of England decided to send him back as an explorer. He went back as a missionary himself. He said, I'm going back. He loved Africa, proclaimed the truth. And he, um, by virtue of his explorations, I mean, and all that he discovered, they commissioned him and sent him back to discover the source of the Nile. Easy for us to see now with great satellite photos. They didn't have that back then. And he hikes through, all through the country that we're part of, Tanzania. And he gets all the way to the far side of Tanzania, has contracted malaria, and on his knees, praying for the continent, he dies. Along his journey, he had led two men to the Lord. Let's see. if he, This is Susi and Chuma. These are two men that he led to the Lord. And they loved him so much that when he died, under his direction, they had taken his heart out and they buried it under a tree on the far side of Tanzania in Kigoma. They buried his heart in the tree and then they rolled his body in a carpet. They embalmed him and they rolled his body in a carpet. And to their great danger, they carried his body across Tanzania all the way to the island that we live on called Zanzibar where a ship from England met and picked his body up. To give you a perspective and, and a frame of reference, Tanzania is a third larger than the state of Texas. That's how far they carried his body. And because there's such superstition about death, they carried him through tribal areas that would have killed them if they knew that they were carrying a body because of their love. And because of this, the Queen of England sent a reward to Chuma and Susi. She gave them a financial reward. The island that we're living on has been Muslim since the 8th century. They came, um, established their trade routes, brought their, their religion, and it has just dominated there. When, uh, as, even through the slave trade, they're bringing them and, and making them slaves, and while they're making them slaves, they're giving them their religion. That would be hard for you to swallow, but it happened. That's how it happened. Zanzibar was the last strongholds for slavery. And we have lots of tourists that come and see the slave chambers where they were sold. I think the next picture, Laurie, is this, uh, is it the Anglican church there? Do we pass that one? There's the Anglican church. Um, Elena, you've been there. This is, we're standing in, right here in front of us. You can't see it. Down, just down below is the monument to the slaves. They built this church. You can see the, the steeple of the church and the minaret of the mosque right behind it. In this area, this half-mile area, there are 57 mosques. There's an Anglican church and there's a Catholic church in that half-mile area. 57 mosques. They built this church 
on the location where they sold the slaves. And right where I'm standing, if you're standing in the, in the pulpit area, there is a red marble area where the whipping post was. And they would whip the slaves in an effort to determine their value. And their value would go up if they did not cry out, determining that they were strong. He hated Zanzibar. Livingstone did. <laughs> Called it stinking Zanzibar because they would, they would capture sometimes whole villages, put them on ships, I mean, traipse them all the way across Tanzania, and then at Bagamoyo, which is uh, named for broken heart, if you made it to Bagamoyo and you had not escaped, then they said there was no hope. They put them on a ship, bring them over to Zanzibar, and then they would auction them off. And he, if you've heard of William Wilberforce, William Wilberforce was the voice against slavery abolitionist outside of the continent. That Dr. Livingstone was the one recording and sending the information about how how the, the, these atrocities were going on for slave trade. As a result of their, um, their sacrifice, the Queen of England gave a gift to them, and they took those monies, and they bought a plot of land on Zanzibar for people to be buried. They gave a gift, Susi and Chuma gave a gift to the believers who were living on the island and said, we are giving this, and this can only be used. It's a gift to the Anglican church and can only be used to build a church or as a cemetery. That was 175 years ago, 180 years ago, I'm sorry. So we fast forward 155 years. There's a young man who's in the military, Tanzania military. When he was born, he was born to the son of a witch doctor. At four years old, his father passed away. And when his father passed away, he was the heir apparent to be the witch doctor. But they determined he was too young, so they held on. He was the witch doctor for the whole village. And so they held on and said, we're going to send him off. He'll get his education. And then when he comes back, um, he'll be the witch doctor for the village. He went and got his education. While he was getting his education, he determined that to work in the military was very profitable, a very basic um, salary for a person who works in the military is three times the daily wage of a normal person. He went in, and because he was smart and he was educated, he rose in the ranks. He was, he was promoted, and he just kept getting promotions, so he, had, he was, had a very profitable career in the military. While he was there, another one of his buddies was a believer and led him to the Lord. He's working on the island of Zanzibar, as working in the military. And one of his buddies lead him to the Lord. And so for uh, two years, they start a Bible study. They start a Bible study, and for two years, they're gathering together. And it grows. The Bible study grows. It grows from just two or three to five to 10 to 15. And by the time 25 people there after two years, and every week they get together, and they're praying for what? God send us a pastor. God send us a pastor. Can you imagine coming and gathering for two years, and you have no leader? And, and it's just growing every, every week, growing, growing, 25 strong. After two years, they're crying out and they're fasting and praying and God send us a pastor and God just taps him on the shoulder and says, I've sent a pastor. You're the pastor. Here he is. He's on the fast track to leadership in the military, has a very profitable career in the military, and he walks away from it. Pastoring a church of 25 with no salary, no pay. 
So in the beginning, he comes to the island. He says, okay, we, we've got to have a place. If we're going to have a church, we need to have a place. And so he openly comes to these places and starts saying, we need a place. I mean, you guys are familiar with this, right? You're familiar with looking for a place to, to worship God, right? Some of you have been here since the beginning, right? Looking for a place. So he goes to this place and says, yes, my name is Pastor Dixon. I'm going to come, and I'm going to, I want to have a church. And I want to, can I rent your place? They say, for a church? No, you cannot. Goes and he goes and goes place to place. And because he's being honest and telling them what he wants to do, they won't rent anything to him. They're continuing to meet. The church is continuing to grow. As it continues to grow, <laughs> the Anglican church hears that they are looking for a church. And they have this cemetery that was donated by Chuman Susi. And it's a little different world where we live. It's squatter's rules. Okay, so if this property was ours and I, if it was yours and I came on the backside of it and I built a house while you were gone and you come back and there's a house back there, you could come to the authorities and say, he's squatting on my land, but I'd say, I've, I've got a deed right here. Some guy sold this property to me and I built the house. And they say, oh yes, I'm sorry. Um, it's really their property. You have to, um, you have to release it. There'd be no problem, but you have to pay me for my house now. You have to pay me for what I've invested into it. So this is exactly what had done to the cemetery. Literally, they're building their houses on top of graves. And the Anglican church saw this and saw that they were losing it. So they said, we will give you this property for the equivalent of 50 cents. Because it can only be used as a cemetery for believers or as a church. Okay? Are you getting this? This is 155 years after Dr. Livingstone passed away. A horrible church planter, I remind you. Horrible, not good. This is my friend. He is pastoring the church now that sits on this property, and there are over 1,000 people that attend on Sunday morning. That's how many were there this morning for the two services that they had. It's packed. A couple years ago, the crowds rose up. It doesn't take much to get a mob excited. They were trying to run Christians off. And on a Saturday night, they have all-night prayer on Saturday night. And they have a group that comes in the evening and starts praying, and they don't leave until after service Sunday afternoon. He's there in his office, and they knock 200, a mob of 200 knocks down the gate, comes storms in, and they're screaming, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, God is great, God is great. And because they don't, they've never been inside, they don't realize where things are. And they come in and they make a pile with all the chairs and the speakers and the sound system and all the, everything that's set up for Sunday. And they light a fire. God's good. God knows. You have two arches here. And this, this one was, the, the framework was made of steel. And that one over there is made of wood. And because they couldn't see, they built it under the one muddy steel. If they built it under the one with wood, it would, have, it would have torched half the church. Well, they just burned up a few chairs, folks. But he was hiding in his office. When they were praying, he, he went, when they knew that they were coming, he could hear them coming and screaming, and they're coming, and they're banging on the gate. And he got, went onto the backside of the property, and he's boosting them out, telling them to run. They're, throwing, they're jumping out over the backside and leaving, and he's the last one there. They torch his car. 
They're banging on it, and they have no idea he's hiding in his office. They were there to kill him. He's been on the island now for 25 years, 28 years now. And as a result of his life lived, he's planted 25 churches on Zanzibar, between Zanzibar and Pemba. I talked to him this last week. I just, I just arrived back in from the continent over there last night. I had a meetings over there, and I sat with him, and I talked with him, had service with him, and talked with him. I said, what's the plan? He goes, we want 40 by in the next five years. We're going to have 40. Now, consider this. Dr. Livingstone, in his lifetime, horrible church planter, but as a result of the life that he lived 180 years later, friends, there are 25 churches on the islands. And my friend has determined that that's not enough. As long as there's freedom of worship on the, in the country, he said, we're going to keep planting because there's people moving from the mainland. My friend, you have no idea the impact that your life will make. And if you're focused only on the time that you're breathing, you may not realize that God's plan is bigger than your breath. It's bigger than that. The next slide here is a, this is the plot up in Nungui. Nungui is in the far side, far north part of the lower island. This is a plot of land, and if you see him, he's standing there on the left. That's him on the left. This is um, nine years ago, and they had a creative planting, church planting strategy. When they realized that if they came in and just told them, hey, we're going to build a church here, that no one would rent to them, no one would sell to them. As a matter of fact, he's moved 17 times in the 25, 28 years he's lived there. Because every time he'd get a contract to pay, and then they'd, someone would just come and say, I'm taking the money, I'll give the money back, you can't stay here. He's become very famous. People know who he is. So they had this strategy. They'd come in, and so they'd buy, they would find a man who had in their body that had a Muslim-type name, Ibram, which can be either Christian or because they claim that Abraham is their father as well, just like we do, Father Abraham. Ibram, and they'd take his name, and he'd go in, and they'd help them buy a plot of land, and they'd plant a pastor inside this house. They'd build the house, plant the pastor there. He began to have relationships, build them, and bring them in and have, start having church in his house. I mean, they, after you do this three or four times, they're, they're pretty smart. They figured this out, guys. So he showed up here, and they walked the property, and they had just, you can't see, but they had just poured foundation around, all the way around the property. And he shows up on this day, and they see him. They recognize him. And they have built the foundation. You're looking at the plot. They come in. They build the foundation. They start building the walls. And the locals come in and tore it all the way down to the foundation because they saw him there. And they said, you're coming to build a church. You're coming to build a church. This is what you're endeavoring to do. So for seven years, this plot of land sits empty. Seven years, nothing happens with it. We need to build a, pro a plot. We need, we need to buy a property because that's our agreement with the government. Our agreement is, is that we'll not build a, a church because... We personally believe that a building is not the church. We are the church. 
And that's our agreement. But we told them that in, in an effort to show them that they we're there long-term, we'll build a building. They said, okay. So we uh, make a plan. A donor comes to me and says, I've got $10,000 I would like to give you. So we buy the property, investigate into their church planning strategy, and they give us the property. We begin to build a school. This is kind of split there. You're getting two different angles there. And this is the school that we're building there. There is, on the north half of the island, it is so violent and it's so difficult that there's not one church on the north part of the island. This is the only proclamation point. Woo, this is exciting. This is really exciting because we've made an agreement. The first day that we showed up, we're building the foundation, we're laying it up, and the, the, the neighbors come, and they bring their uh, panga, machetes. They bring their machetes and their hoes, and they surround. Let's see the next picture, Lord. Let's see if I've got it's a, the next picture's right. Yeah. This is my friend Moody. Moody is nicknamed for Muhammad. Mo Moody is a MBB, a Muslim background believer. He has come to faith. We were helping to start a church in Dar es Salaam, and he was there. I was uh, leading worship. There was a freaky, one of those freaky churches where we did worship, and then we all had a break, and then we had coffee and tea and snacks in between, and then we come back for the preaching. And in between, he came and says, I don't know what this is, but I want it. And led him to the Lord. Moody has moved up to Nungui. And he is there on the property being our liaison. And they have surrounded him and they've called. And he calls and he says, Roger, they're surrounding me and I am afraid. They are coming to tear it down. And we call the minister of education and he comes and does a whole rescue thing. Because he convinces them that we have been faithful in what we've said we will do. We're building schools and we're building this school. And Moody is living there. Moody is in essence a pastor. He's a crazy evangelist. You know what his evangelistic strategy is? They love soccer over there. That's what they call football. Not Texas and Texans and Cowboys. Go boys. But they love soccer. So they all want to watch the game. And there's places where they will sell them for about a quarter. For a quarter, they can go into a place and watch the game. The guy will rent his, and people come in the door in his house or whatever he'll set up, and people come watch the game. So what he does is he doesn't charge them anything. He tells them, if you want to come to the game, you have to come an hour early. And the hour before, he tells them what time they have to be there. And they have to, if it's, the game starts at 12, they've got to be there at 11. And 11 o'clock, he closes the door, and he preaches to them about Jesus for an hour. Then he turns on the game. Don't you like that? He's a crazy evangelist. God knew. That through Dr. Livingstone's life, that Moody would be in Nungui. Story and a story and a story and a story. You have no idea where God is leading you, what God is doing with your life. You have no idea the impact that your life could make, surrendering it completely to him. And there'll be a time in your life where you'll be tempted to quit. There'll be a time in your life when you'll say, this is costing me too much. I know when we moved the island, this has been the, the craziest adventure we've ever been on. At the time when we depleted every bank account we have, every budget that I set for that building, 
It's the craziest thing. It's cost us twice, more than twice to build that building. Every, with us doing everything we can to be good with donor support and to make sure that those who've invested, we're watching it. Everything costs more than we could possibly imagine. But we've made this declaration. It's cost us more than we've expected. But it's not more than we're willing to pay. It is not more than we're willing to pay. It will cost you to follow him. That voice is exactly the same voice. And I don't know about where you are and what adventure that you're on. Adventure. See, that's what I call it. This is adventure. Because if everything that you face is an obstacle, if everything that you're enduring, everything that you're going through is one of those things, then you're at a place where you have to be victorious all the time. You have to be one of those people that succeeds at the highest level all the time. Me, I'm, I got lower standard than that. If I just keep moving forward, we're victorious. Yeah. You see the difference? Why? Because he's called me not to be the most, to be the perf- most perfect person in the world. What he's called me to be is the best Roger Kirkendall there is. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And just by moving forward, friends, I'm victorious. Yeah. So it's an adventure. Everything that we face, right? And the great news is, it's his plan. It's not mine. Ask me how much experience that we had before we moved into this context, doing what we're doing. Zero. Just like you guys. No experience working with Muslims. None. I feel like a kid who chose a minefield as a playground. And about halfway through, you realize where you are. And you have to say, All the rights and the left and the turn and the... Okay, wait, 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 over here. It's not a straight line, friends. And realizing that trusting him has brought us that far. Realizing that it's not about us, it's about him and his plan and for his glory. Why? Because he is the Lord of the harvest. It's all his and he sends his labors at his good pleasure. I don't know what God's called you to do. I don't know what this is going to cost you. But I am most certain that it will cost you. But will you be like Peter? Or will you be like those what I call popcorn Christians that said, this was too much. Or will you get to the place where when it's difficult and Moody is facing difficult times, I want you to pray with me for him in just a moment. The enemy is attacking his family, his home, doing everything they can to get him out of there. They'll do the same to you when you stand and say, I'm all yours, I'm all in, and I'll go wherever you send me. I'll do whatever you call me to. I'll pay whatever price, Lord, because my life is yours. Amen? No less than all will do. Lord, I thank you. Because the challenge is truly great. It's not easy, Lord, living our life for you. It's not easy. I don't know that some of these are at the very beginning of their journey. Some of them are young. Some of them have marched for many years already. And they've discovered... 
that putting their hope and their faith and their trust in you is truly a challenge. It's not easy. Lord, just like Peter, just like Peter that day, Lord, we have declared that you and you alone have the words of life. That's it, Lord. When you said, when you said to the disciples that day, come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's the same voice speaking to us today. You're saying, come, Roger, follow me. And in, inherent in that following is that you're calling us, to, calling us to lead others to follow you, Lord. If we're following you, we should be leading others to follow you, Lord. Whether it's here, across the street from where we live, Lord, across the world, you're calling us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for these that are here, and I pray wherever they are, Lord, whatever they're standing against, Lord, as they're raising a standard of righteousness with their life, Lord, the enemy has made them a target and he's come against them, Lord. I pray, Lord, for courage to remain strong, just like believers all over the world, those who have stood in their faith and are now locked in the, into a container prison, Lord. Their prison is a container. Some of them have been there for a decade or more, Lord. And when the word gets out to us who are outside, the word comes to us on the outside, and they've asked what it is they want us to pray for them, Lord. They're not praying for release, Lord. We're praying, Lord, their faith would remain strong, that they would be found faithful even in those most difficult times, Lord God. They're not asking that you would release them. They're asking, Lord, that they would be strong and courageous in the midst of these difficult times, Lord. Lord, raise our level of faith to be like theirs, that in the dangerous, difficult time of our life, Lord God, we will be strong and courageous. We will be faithful, Lord. I pray, Lord God, for those kind of believers in this room, Lord, who will take the world, the globe, Lord. Not just here, Lord. This is not big enough, Lord. This area here in Houston, Texas is not big enough. Your world is larger than this, Lord. We surrender to your plan. In Jesus' name, Lord, we surrender you. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.